Hello and welcome. My name is Mary Lou and you're listening to the Hero Hotspot podcast. This week I'm talking to Rachel Watson, a massage therapist and reflexologist. Since studying Ayurveda for women in 2014, Rachel has been passionate about holistic health and passing on her knowledge to her clients and inspiring them a desire to heal from within. During our chat, we talk about the power of touch and how nurturing and therapeutic it can be. We both agree that the adage, if you don't take time for your wellness, you will have to make time for your illness, is so true. Yet we are not encouraged culturally to take time out and to connect and care for our own needs. We discuss how our years of experience have gifted us with the patience and wisdom in order to hold space for our clients and also how we are now able to truly be our authentic selves and find contentment from within. I hope you enjoy it. Because after my treatment with you, I felt, I don't know what it was about it, but I felt so invigorated. I felt so, it's like you put a new set of batteries in me. Really? Yeah. I think the power of touch is incredible and just, you know, having a massage or, um, and I adapt each um, treatment that I do depending on what that person wants. So I won't do sort of a set treatment um, if I'm doing a reflexology session for somebody. Um, some people would like it a certain way, but other people I can pick up on their energy of enjoying a particular mm. technique or the way I would do it mm. instead of sort of the caterpillar movements that you do I would maybe do more of a massage mm. but the power of touch is quite something and I was just thinking that the, it's some people don't get touched a lot and I no. think just to be mm. touchful stop but to be touched in a nurturing and then a um, a therapeutic way was clearing it must be really profound for some people. Yes, I think you're right. Um, especially men as well. They don't get touched in a nurturing way anymore. It's maybe more mothers that are used to nurturing and touching their children. So you're giving and doing all that. Um, and you might, you might as a woman be more used to touch, but men especially don't really ever get nurtured. It's as if they aren't expected to ever need to have, you know, if I'm doing an Indian head massage or a face massage, something like that, just to run your hands over their scalp. Mm. It's like as a mother, you know, maybe stroking your child's hair when they're falling asleep. And there's something so nurturing and calming and peaceful about that. And people don't get that. Mm. They don't I wonder if anymore. men over the years, I might be wrong, I mean, correct me, they perceive touch in a sexual way. Yes, and I so think they so, don't. Absolutely. They're not used to being touched in a nurturing way anymore. Yes, as you say, it's only really way. their mothers. Are, and if a woman had done that, you know, and I, I love men, but they they can be pretty basic. Oh yeah, it can probably quickly turn to oh, that's nice. You know, yes. I, that makes me feel good. Let's yes, get, let's get jiggy. Kind yes, of thing. exactly. They won't just sit with it. With the that feels really nurturing. Yes, I would say it's actually quite empowering. Um, doing doing the treatments and knowing that you're in a certain position and you've got a professional um, boundary where you know and they know that there's absolutely no crossing over that boundary and it's quite nice to be in that position of being able to nurture. Mm. So they actually take somebody, it for what it is rather yes, than... And there's confusing. no confusion mm. there whereas you know if you'd been hanging out with friends or you know everything else would be totally different but because you're in that position mm. of 
nurturing and doing a treatment, it's really nice to be able to give in that situation, say, for example, to mm. a man um, that has never actually received that calming, nurturing feeling. And then hopefully, I hope that when they go home, they feel a little calmer mm. and a little less sort of, they, they realize again what it's like to be touched mm. in a nurturing way and, and like mm. you say, not a sexual way. So I would love to do that for my husband. It doesn't, it weirdly, it doesn't occur to me to do it. No. But I would love to rub his feet or, or give him a head massage or give him a massage. But it's, I was going to say he doesn't ask for it. And I'm not sure how he'd respond if I offered it. I might try and that. I don't that know, would be really interesting. I don't know that men would know how to ask for it because they mm. would see it, they would perceive it as a weakness. Yes, isn't that sad? Isn't it? It's exactly that. They yeah. they see it as a girly. Well, why would I? Why do I want you to soften me? Yes. Or, or what? You're feeling a bit frisky. No, I just want to touch you. I want to connect. Yes. I mean, with Gordy especially because he's because um, he's in pain and it's harder with him because touch actually can be quite electric, painfully electric for him. But because he's tired or in pain, we don't have as much physical contact as I'd like because he's asleep most of the time <laughs> when he's home. So I would really like to nurture him. I think actually that would give him more because he doesn't often, yeah. it's probably a bit personal, he's not often up for it mm, because he's tired. Mm. Yes. But actually I could still touch him and be nurturing. Something that's really nice to do for that is um, reflexology um, because there's that distance between the, the person's mm. sort of the, the head and the face and then you're working on their feet. So there's a little bit of distance and space, and I don't think people are aware how much feeling you can get mm. from your feet. Mm. Um, I was treating somebody yesterday, actually, and she said, gosh, it just feels so good to have my feet rubbed. And mm. I checked my clock, and it was I'd gone over the hour. And I thought, gosh, I could, I could just carry on, mm. actually, quite easily for another half an hour mm. and work on. She had just relaxed enough, and I could just have worked more and more. Mm. So touching somebody's feet is a really mm. good way. Mm. That's why, you know, in, got inside... Very nice feet, unfortunately. The, no. well, <laughs> you see, that's another thing, you know. A lot of men haven't realised throughout their lives that, you know, looking after your feet is mm. important. Mm. You know, the moment you start working on your feet, you suddenly realise how many little intricate parts mm. and bits mm. there are. Mm. And it's e you can easily do an hour. I had somebody ask me once, how do you make massaging somebody's feet last an hour and I said well actually if you if you look at it half an hour for each foot it mm, goes very mm, quickly mm. and people don't necessarily realize that the in reflexology your foot is a map of the body yes so your your big toe is the head and down the outside is the spine yes and the tops of the toes are the glands when I mean, you, you yes. tell me with this, I mean, you've got certain parts you mm. know around the ankle is the sort of the pelvic area and the reproductive area and you're right the, the big toes the the head then you've got um your glands your pituitary your hypothalamus that are deep inside the brain they're all in the big toe your sinuses all down the little toes um your neck your throat your you know if people have a neck ache you can work on your foot. In fact, I've, I've got a neck injury from a car accident when I was younger. And when I press on my neck reflex point on my foot, I still almost get like an electric shock mm, mm, area. Mm. So very often I can sit there and work on just that little part mm. and it can last 15, 20 minutes. Mm. And then the electricity or the sharpness of that feeling will dissipate and it'll just go. And I'll think, oh, wow. You know, mm. and I'll have a really good night's sleep mm. that night. 
Um, but you can work on one little area. It's interesting because people think an hour's body massage, you know, the, the, the body as a whole is a big piece of flesh, as it were. Mm. So mm. conversely, the foot isn't a big bit of flesh. But when you break it down to little square centimetres and each yes. of those square centimetres are pertinent to a part of the body. Yeah. I mean, I remember having my toes done and it felt like... Um, she was breaking down sort of crystals in my little toe pads and each of those. And then I, the feeling of feeling so much better afterwards. Yes, it's but quite How incredible. often do we sit on our own and just play with a toe yes. and break that down on ourselves? There's one little tiny point and it's sort of like a, a pinprick point in the middle of the big toe. And, you know, if you, if you work around your big toe, you can eventually feel it. And I can pick up on it when I'm working on somebody by their reaction once I've reached that point. Mm. Some people would jump, you mm. know, or startle or they'll suddenly open their eyes and they'd sort of been drifting off to sleep. And and I know that I've got that particular point and then I can work quite hard on it. Mm. Um, or I can... Um, and what does that point denote? Um, that's the pituitary gland. Right. So the pituitary and the hypothalamus work together to um, help regulate and release um, hormones mm. throughout the body. Mm. Um, so it's, it does many, many functions and it's quite a specific um, point and you know when you've got it because it's mm. electric. It area. can be quite painful. Oh, I've had for it. it has made me cry often. out. Oh, yes, it can mm. do. There was a lady, so when I trained in 2003 for, um, there was uh, we had to do case studies and we had to do 10 case studies on different people with six treatments for each one. In fact, one lady, absolutely lovely, and she still comes to me now um, regularly, and she absolutely leapt out of the chair when I touched the pituitary, and it was when I was training and learning, and I thought, gosh, that's incredible, mm. and I couldn't believe it. So we carried on through the treatments of six. By the time she got to treatment three, she was falling asleep. Mm. In fact, you know, I was trying to get feedback from her during it, but she would just fall mm. asleep by the mm. time I got to the second foot. Um, but the pain went. Mm. It was quite incredible. Mm. And, yeah, she comes back to me today. So that's sort of 17 years later. So I guess that speaks for itself. <laughs> but she still falls asleep during mm. the treatment and absolutely loves it. So I'm going to whip back to where I should have started, in that mm. if you sat next to someone at a dinner party and they ask you what you did, what would your answer be? Um, I would say um, I run my own business um, doing reflexology and massage and a little bit of Ayurvedic healthcare as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think people are becoming much more aware of healthcare nowadays. So if I had said that 15 years ago, um, I think it would have met with a bit of, oh gosh, what's that? Whereas mm. nowadays, I think people are becoming a lot more aware of the benefits of self-care mm. and alternative treatments. And it's funny to think that Ayurveda, for instance, has been around for 5,000 years and there are um, hieroglyphics inside the tombs in ancient Egypt of people working on each other's feet. Mm. It wasn't known as reflexology then, but it's been around for thousands of years and mm. modern medicine has only really been around in the last 150 mm. maybe. Mm. Um, and so it's met with a little bit of reservation by doctors, or at least it was. Um, but now it's becoming quite common for doctors to refer people to alternative therapies mm. now. If you've got a doctor I, that I believe is clued, clued up a little bit mm. on it. Mm. Because mm. it's about how we feel about ourselves. And we've all got the ability 
to heal from within. And a lot of healing is about um, how you, your, your, your outlook on life. And if you're feeling a little bit better about yourself, then that's a great way to go mm. forward. I know somebody who's a cancer specialist, and I know that reflexology is used a lot in um, people that care for people with cancer or people undergoing treatment. And I was speaking to him about it. And he said, well, do you know, from a medical point of view, I really don't know about reflexology. But he said, quite honestly, if somebody undergoing treatment feels good about themselves and feels relaxed, mm. then as far as I'm concerned, it works. Mm which is, that's quite powerful words from a cancer specialist. Yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, I work on that triangle of the physical, emotional and, and biochemical. And for me, they're linked. You know, mm. I've, from a, from a physical perspective, I've treated things that have been emotional traumas that have been held in the body over the years. So for me, that's a, that's a physical manifestation of an emotional state, which I think if you said that to a doctor, he'd look at you like you were crazy. Um, mm. But I think to hold, to suffer a trauma, whether it be from a car accident or an emotional trauma, it does, for me, it's more like little nettle barbs. It, it sits in, mm -hmm. in your energy, in your energy, whether it be your fascia or your aura, whatever it is. And it's, and it's my job to find that and then to clear it. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. The, the Western medicine is so much more binary and they'll look for the symptom and cure that. They'll, they don't often go deep down to the cause yes. and it doesn't occur to them that cause is necessarily uh, stress the cause or will carry on going like yeah. very often um it's not a you know with health it's never a quick fix uh, you've got to ask how long has that been around and what has happened since mm. it's been around mm. you know for example my neck injury that i sustained during the car accident um it was treated a little bit at the time but actually you know, all through my 20s and 30s, I just left it. So now by the time I got to sort of 40s and onwards, I've got muscle tightness around the neck injury. And it's years and years and years of not having treated the mm. original thing. Mm. So it's going to take years and years and years mm. to work on mm. to get to improve and mm. get better. I um, remember a friend saying she, um, her husband had issues in his feet. And he went to go and see okay, Christian, who's the osteopath in Totnes. He's retired now, but he right. was very highly regarded. And as he had to go quite a few treatments, between six and 12, and I think he'd jumped as a child or he'd had a fall and landed on his feet. But actually it was the shock of that fall. And as Christian worked on him, the um, pain went from his feet to his ankles and then it sat on his knees for a bit and then it sat on his hips for a bit and the shock literally had to work its way up his body and out of his body because it literally had this compacted trauma yeah. in his body. Yeah. Um, but everyone thought, oh, you're not, you know, it's not working or, oh, now I've got a problem in my knees. But yes. when you look at the body in a different way and how it holds trauma, either physically or emotionally, you can understand that it's a, it was a journey in, as you say, yeah. for your neck. So there has to be a journey out. Yes. It's not so Miraculously, going to disappear. Yes, your it's neck never a when you've had fix. it for, for decades. Yeah, yeah. I think we're so accustomed to. Can I take a tablet for that? Yeah. Will it go instantly? Mm. Mm. And it's sort of no. You know, if somebody comes to me for um, a reflexology or a massage, um, I'll, I'll look at how long it took for them to have become into that state mm. or to have got that condition. 
and then say, well, listen, it's not going to be sort of a one treatment and mm. I can press your big toe and it'll go. Mm. Um, your body has to go through a process in order to very often relax enough mm. to receive what I'm going to give you that mm. will help. Mm. So hence, when people start falling asleep after session two mm. or three, you know, they know what to expect when they arrive um, and they can relax and then you can start working and on And it's becoming, it's points. trusting you or the therapist and also becoming intuitive enough that you can read your body. And I think we've lost that to a large degree. You know, life is mm. quick and fast and immediate, whether with information and food and everything. And we've lost that ab ability to slow down and be and yes. to actually go, how am I feeling? How am I physically feeling in this moment? Yes. And that's what I do when, I, when I'm doing the online treatment is actually let's just check in with where you are, especially with women. Mm. How often have you been asked to sit down for five minutes and to totally connect? Well, you probably do, but um, most people <laughs> I, I with try. your body for five minutes and go, <laughs> yes. actually, I'm, I'm a bit tense. Well, I'm actually holding my neck or I can feel it in my stomach or, well, what's that about? Well, I'm a bit angry from this morning. And we yes. don't, we just roll it all in, yes. you know, and carry on. One of the things that um, in Ayurveda they suggest you do as a morning ritual is abhyanga, um, so self-massage. Self and in the beginning, when I was doing my training out in India, um, you know, when the teacher was telling us we should spend, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour doing some self-massage every morning, we thought, gosh, how are we going to fit that in with sort of the oil pulling and the tongue scraping and the meditation and the yoga? And, oh, gosh, now we're meant to be self-massaging as well. Um, but but we all stuck to it and we did it because we were there for that period of time and we all made the effort to see what there was in um, Ayurveda that is so good. And I did the self-massage every morning. And I have to say, it gave me chance to think, oh, actually, you know, my, my, my hamstring is hurting this morning or my shoulder. And it gives you time just to, like you say, check in mm. with your body and mm. say, what's hurting and why? And then suddenly while you're doing it, you're not doing anything else except touching your body. And you mm. think, oh, well, maybe it was because I went for a jog yesterday and maybe I should go easy on my knees. Mm. So you're massaging your knees thinking about that, and then the following day you can adapt and mm. say, oh, maybe I'll go on a walk instead. Mm. Mm. But if you hadn't had that time to check in, you just would have carried on jogging. Mm. Mm. And three months later you might have had a really bad mm. knee knee issue or problem. Um, but I think that's really important. That's something that I will hang on to. as machines. Yes, mm. and they, they need to be nurtured and looked after. And another thing with Ayurveda is maintain the health of the body. Don't wait for something to go wrong mm. and then think, oh, I'd better correct mm. it. I sent Gordy that meme the other day. If you don't make time for your wellness, you'll have to make time for your illness. Yes, and that's so mm. true. Mm. Yes, But again, we're not, uh, in our culture, we're not really encouraged to do that. No. Oh, no. In, in any way. No, and I think that would be one thing that if, if we were to add an extra module to primary school life, it would be a little bit of meditation, yoga, and self-care. Mm. You could teach that in half an hour once mm. a week, but that would be, we would be doing the whole next generation such a service by teaching them that. Mm. Because as parents, you don't teach, you know, you would maybe bushcraft or art or touch typing or there are all sorts of things, you know, swimming. And But how about ourselves? How mm. about teaching a child 
to look after themselves and become mm. aware of themselves, mm. how they feel. And I will say it's mm. one of the reasons we chose the school we did for Daisy because they do that. She does mindfulness. Oh, really? Yeah, and mm. she will sit there and um, she was telling me a story about a girl who um, would have been really sort of rebellious and, and, and couldn't settle. And she was, she was normally all right, but she suddenly had this sort of angsty and angry. And so she got her to sit down and she didn't want to. And, you know, just sit, just sit. You know, how, how do you feel? And it was like, oh, I hate school. And, you know, just wanted to lash out. So she just sat with her going, well, whereabouts are you feeling it? And, you know, just breathe. And so for about 10 minutes, she really made her sit with this feeling. And sort of at the end of it, she just gave this really big sigh and said, oh, you know, I'm feeling it in my, where it was, in my stomach or my back. And, and then she just came to this realisation. She said, actually, I'm just really tired. And had she not, because of that tiredness, right, okay, so I need to look after myself. And then all the choices you make. But it had been quite easy had you not touched in with her for her to go, well, it must be school or it must be my friends and I hate school. And then that mm. attitude then gets implanted in the brain. So she starts behaving according to that oh I hate the teacher so I'm going to be rebellious yes so yes. you know there are two routes always that she could have taken yes I'm going to continue to be cross and angry or actually I'm just tired and I need to nurture myself and if I'm not tired I'm gonna have a better attitude or you know I'm yes. gonna see the world differently and you can cope with everything and deal with it in a lot a lot different way mm. yeah I think it's so important to touch in just just for five minutes mm. the same with massaging your feet every night um, just five, ten minutes touching in with your feet and you're guaranteed a good night's sleep. Mm. And it's so true that mm. I tell everybody who comes to me, oh, make sure you give yourself five, ten minutes at night just to massage a bit of cream. Why do we not do that? Why do we find that so um, hard? Because it's not been part of our upbringing. You know, if, if I think as mothers, that's one of our responsibilities is to teach our children. You know, my grandmother had a saying, if you teach a daughter, you're teaching the next mm. generation with the idea that, you know, mothers will impart their knowledge. Mm. Um, my Ayurvedic guru up in London, she's always saying, oh, my mother always said, or my grandmother always said. Mm. So, you know, as mothers going on from what we were discussing earlier, mothers have such a responsibility to pass on that information. Mm. Mm. Um, you're teaching the next generation. Hopefully all my daughters, all three of them, now know that, you know, you've got to give yourself a little bit of time, mm. you know, just massage some conditioner into your head. Give yourself a little head massage. Mm. Make it part of a routine at bedtime, you know, massage your feet. Or, um, I suppose it's that thing about self-love or self-care or self-appreciation. If we don't know what works for us, how are we then expected to ask it of our partners or to give it yes. to ourselves? yes. You know, because it's, let's take, go back to when I was saying about Gordy. If he, you know, I can't imagine his mother, you know, massaging his feet or his head, but, yeah. you know, he could easily say at the end of the day, just because, oh, I'm really tired. But if he knew that, actually, you know what, a head massage would really soothe that or revitalize me, but we're not in touch with what works for us. For some yes. people, it might be feet, for some people, it might be head, for some people, it might be a walk. Yes. But if we don't explore it, how are we ever going to know? Yes, explore and make time for it. And then um, don't wait until we're feeling bad to do it. Mm. Do it when you're feeling good mm. and, and grasp those moments. And, and don't think of it as being selfish. Just mm. take that time and say, no, actually, I need half an hour for part of my bedtime ritual. I'm going to have a bath tonight and um, get some oil and rub it into my body mm. and no I'm not going to feel guilty about mm. that or mm. you know think it's unusual 
Um, in India, of course, they it's much more of the routine. So when when a woman gives birth, um, she receives a massage um, every day for seven days. And I just thought, gosh, I wish I had given birth to my children in India mm. because I can't think of anything better than being nurtured. The moment we seem to give birth to children here, we're, we become the givers. Mm. From that mm. moment onwards... Um, we're giving mm. and if only we could be by our mothers given a massage mm. that would be so nice because mm. the I moment did, they're was, born you're breastfeeding yeah. you're, you're sleepless nights mm. recovering then you've got this pressure on you to regain your figure but how about somebody doing mm. something nice for mm. you I mean I was quite lucky when I had my eldest my mother is not a physical person. She's more of a practical nurse. And I went to come live with her for two weeks. And I got, and that, this is quite rare, I got breakfast in bed, I got lunch in bed. And it was just, she left me to bond with the baby. She left me to do all that, but took care of my basic needs. I didn't have to clean, I didn't have to do my clothes. So I wasn't getting the massage, which sounds, you know. <laughs> heavenly. Yes, yeah, really heavenly. <laughs> but um, I remember that saying that to, to um, a neighbour of mine, and she was, he had a baby at the beginning of the year and his mother wasn't able to give her that. And it was like, oh, my God, that would just be amazing. But as you say, yeah. to hit the ground running as a mother, I mean, when I had Daisy, so my fourth, which was 11 years after my first, and I stayed in bed for two weeks because I was aware the moment I got out of bed, I didn't get dressed for two weeks. The moment I got out of bed, I knew I'd have to put on that coat of motherhood and I'd have to start giving. So I knew what was yes. coming. Having done it three times before, yes. I thought, I know I'm going to have to be a mum of four and I'm not physically ready. And it was exhausting. I was yeah. 40 when I had her. Yes. Um, and it took her, her, um, her godmother, Dave's godmother, to say to me, I think you need to get dressed now. And she thought, <laughs> I couldn't do that forever. But I was just overwhelmed by it yes. because it wasn't a nurturing yeah. Um, dynamic to walk into. Yes. My third daughter, um, I, I nearly died having um, part of the placenta stayed in. Gosh. And so um, I just suddenly started just hemorrhaging and I would have just bled to death that actually they didn't have chance to get me to the operating theatre. And luckily there was a nurse. <laughs> I was very thankful. She was tiny. She was Indian. And she managed to just whiz in there, scoop out, <clears throat> the placenta and stopped me from hemorrhaging but actually I got the tunnel of the vision you know where you sort of go into a corridor and I I think I would have died had it been sort of 10 minutes longer five minutes longer um, but as a result with my third daughter I was put in my own private room and she was just brought to me she could stay in the room with me the nurses were so nurturing and so caring and then I was asked to have a blood transfusion. It was advised because my I had lost so much blood that I just didn't have the energy. But for two days, I was just looked after. And I remember mm. thinking, gosh, if I had just had that mm. with the first two, that mm. would have been wonderful. Mm. Um, but if we, that's something I would do for my daughters, I think, is just mm. go and be with them for mm. a week, two weeks, mm. and just let them have that time of just lying there and that that bonding time mm. is so important. Mm. I just used to lie there and sleep with her next to me and a nurse would just waft in and scoop her up and pop her in the little, you know, bed by the side of me and I thought, gosh, this is just mm. glorious. Mm. It's so different, the attitude. I remember when I had um, 
Gina, so before I came home to be looked after by my mum, every nurse was telling me something different. One minute I had at the end of my bed, I wasn't to touch her, I wasn't allowed to sleep with her. And it didn't occur to me to move the cot from the end of the bed to next to the bed, so I actually used to peer at my feet and not be able to see her. So I didn't really bond with her for ages. And then when I had Daisy, again, her godmother was saying to um, one of my sons, you need to leave mummy. She needs to have time to bond with the baby. And for the fourth child, that had never occurred to me. I need time to get to know who this person is that has come into my life. Yes, yes. Just look into their eyes and let them study your face. Mm. Um, I think those initial um, moments together are so important. And I think it probably lasts about a week just, just, looking into their eyes. Mm, mm. I think that's one of the most beautiful times that you can possibly have with them when they can't talk and they can't be cheeky to you mm. and you can't be cross mm. and they can't be asking for anything other than just food mm. and, mm. you know, drinking from the breast and just being there close to you. And mm. that time is just so valuable. Both sitting here trying to remember those. Well, I, I think am. it's, it's really just coming back to me. it's... But I'm thinking, gosh, but then you've got to, you know, you've got to do the laundry and you've got to clean the house and how actually, so it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you're nurturing your baby, none of that matters and that pressure. I just think of it with great sadness that in Western culture, we don't nurture our new mothers properly. Yes, I think it's because families don't live together like they do in in other other continents and certainly India. Um, Africa, you know, a whole family would live together and there are other benefits to that as well, sort of learning from the elders. Mm. Um, you know, Ayurveda has been handed down from generation to generation and, um, you know, some some parts of Europe, they do that still where the older generation is very much an integral part of um, the family. But I think that's so important as well. You know, I have very fond memories of listening to my grandmother telling me stories and I'm showing me how to bake and just having that time with her and gardening with my mm. grandfather. And very often your parents are too busy. And it's so important to mm. keep those generations together, mm. knitted together in a in a family. Um, I think a lot more a, a lot more many positive things would be handed down if we did that. Mm. I do think the um that grandparent, grandchild relationship is and I've and I have read that some cultures it's very much that the the younger, you know, the twenties give birth to children, but it's sometimes it's the grandparents that raise them because yes. in more in, in an in indigenous way, the younger children have the physical ability to go and collect berries or whatever it is to do all the practical chores, where the grandparents have all the time to sit with the yes. children and to and you the know, teach them. Yeah, mm. they have the energy. patience, they have the knowledge, um, and and they they do the job that parents should do but parents can't Mm. so just sitting and observing Mm. and letting the child do what they want Mm. and allowing the child to come to them for advice Mm. or to come and sit down when they're tired from playing and climbing in trees or playing on the beach and Mm. come and sit with them and have a cuddle have a story Mm. be touched Mm. um have their hair stroked Mm. all those lovely things it's that time without the pressure of having to do all the practical things in life they, yes. they take second place. Yes. So as a mother, you might be doing the, the cooking, the cleaning, mm. the washing, mm. and that time of just, you know, going and sitting on your, your granddad's knee and having a story or, um, you know, having a bit of a joke about something or 
a chat that you just wouldn't mm. have mm. with your parent. Mm. Very often parents as well are looking after your siblings. Mm. Um, so they're, they're, they've just not got the patience and the time. Mm. And that's all children want, actually, mm. is patience and time. Mm. I often wonder how each of my children would have been if I raised them all as only children. If yes. I didn't have to look after the others, how the different others. they'd be. I mean, I'm, I yeah. know there are benefits to having siblings, and obviously that. And I've got a lot of books on sibling rivalry. I mean, I had, I had three kids under three and a half, so it was a big thing at one time. Um, so I get there are benefits, and I get that that's the that society is you have to share your life with other people, and it's it's not. Um, you know, you're not going to be on your own, having your singular me needs met for the whole mm, of your life. Mm. But I was acutely aware that at times they got robbed. They got robbed of time and or affection or or for me to listen to them or understanding because their siblings were, were taking my time away. Yes, um, so very often when they need it the most. Yeah. Mm. 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 yeah, it's funny because I was an only child and I was very determined to have more than one um, because although all well, I think people have a – sometimes a misconception, sometimes it's very true um, that you've got this extra time from your parents, but very often um, you don't have that. And I'm not quite sure where I fall in it, but I, I, I wouldn't say I feel doted on. Um, and and I think I wanted there to be sort of a group. There are times I think I probably felt quite lonely growing up and there was a responsibility on my mother to get me to be joining in with everybody all the time. And I always used to sort of look at people that had brothers and sisters and think, gosh, you're so lucky. It's like somebody there mm. all the time mm. that's either you're, you're mucking about and playing with them or their friends. Mm. You know, very often my children will get on well with the younger brother or sister of their friend. And I think, gosh, you know, you do miss out on a little bit being an only child in that respect. Um, likewise, I guess you would have maybe two or three children in a family and there's a favourite. Mm. So that favourite would be doted on mm. or have all the attention given to them and the others miss out. Mm. And I suppose that favourite feels almost like an only child would mm. would feel. I wonder if, um, we were talking about this in a podcast last week, when I'm the youngest of five, so you tend to, I'm talking about sibling um, dynamics and how you tend to fall into that, you know, when you go and see your siblings, regardless of the fact that I'm now 51, you just get used to the, that, the dynamic of the whole, um, when we're all together. And so you get, you know, the bossy one, the artistic one, the selfish one, that, you know, that you all get labelled. Mm, mm. um, and I wonder as an only child if you get that label, if, you're, if from your parents' perspective, because my parents will kind of conquer... Um, divide and conquer. They couldn't have us all getting on. So they kind of yeah. subconsciously was never about, oh, you know, be patient, be this. It was always, oh, she's a bit selfish. Or, you know, she would, they would sort of snipe at us subtly. It was, yes. one of my parents were unusual, but. I think I, there's almost an expectation to fulfill um, maybe all the roles. Yeah. Or that if you, you didn't um, fulfill a certain role, for example, um, you know, my A-levels were a little bit of a disaster um, and I feel as though I sort of let my parents down, um, you know, having gone to private school for those last two years and I, I should have come out of it 
and gone on to university and done something amazing with my life. And I didn't. Um, they sort of, um, I don't know what happened to my A-levels, actually. Mm. I think I was on another planet. Um, but it didn't mean that I didn't succeed in what I went on to do. But that suddenly I had sort of, I felt like I had let them down. And I've All often... the pressure is on you. Yes, to mm. fulfil various roles, mm. um, sort of a nurturing role or looking after your parents or um, being intellectual, musical, um, and you have this constant feeling of having to be an all-rounder and sort of quite, mm. quite perfect. Whereas in a, in a large family, I always found that if... Um, if a sibling had taken a role, let's say my next sister up, she got into photography and I really wanted to do photography, but it was very much, well, she's got that now. She's ticked that box. I can't, I can't go there yes. because one, she would have been furious. She was quite a, quite a temper, my sister. Um, but that was taken. It's like my brother is, is a um, very talented cartoonist. You know, he's been cartoonist of the year and political cartoonist of the year. He's, he's top of his game. And so there's no way you draw because you think, well, he's brilliant at it. Why would I bother drawing a cartoon? Because I can't compare to what he's got. So there was always, especially as the youngest, I can't, I can't step into that role. And although I do see myself as creative, my family is so uber creative. You know, my sister's an interior designer and an architect and my mum was an illustrator. I think compared to most people, I'm more creative than some, but in my family, I'm bottom of the pile. Yes. So I being, don't, I don't go there. I don't explore yeah, that really. Being the youngest of such a, you know, quite a large family like that, you must have been left thinking, what is the left for, yeah. for me to mm, do? Mm. You know, every, every other occupation or talent has been taken. Yeah, very much. You know, whereas I, I guess I've just not had any pressure. I could have just chosen what I wanted mm, mm. and I've not been a particular anything. I know that now I've found what I finally love doing. Mm. Um, but yes, I wish I had known that earlier on. And I sometimes wonder, would my life have been different if I had had sort of two older brothers that have been particularly good at this or that? Mm. I would have felt safer going into a role mm. or following a path that I had wanted to or yes I've often thought would it would my life have been different if I had had brothers and sisters um, so I don't know if it's a generational thing um I mean I only have my experience to go by and being the youngest and I always say to my kids gosh if I if I had my time again I would really tap into where my strengths lie and I would I would have done that sooner and going but my, my parents didn't see it it was very much you went to secretarial college, you did this, you went to school, you ticked the boxes, but they never, they either didn't know us well enough or we didn't know ourselves well enough to go, actually, I am, I want to be an artist. I want to, you know, yeah. I just never found my groove ever. Yeah, I don't think it's, I, don't, I think it's a combination actually of not knowing yourself well enough at, at a young age and your parents not knowing you well enough and life having not happened to you because sometimes I think that we become, we find our strengths as we go through our 20s and 30s and 40s. And, you know, you can find what your calling is at any point in your life. And sometimes you have to have experienced certain things to have discovered that actually mm. that's that's what I'm good at. Mm. You know, I've been told Ever since I qualified in reflexology, um, I was really good at it. In fact, um, the, the 
my teacher, um, I chose her one of uh, as one of my case studies. And she used to love her treatments from me. And she said, you know, you've got a real talent here. And everybody that I've treated since then has said the same. Mm. And I think, well, could I have done that when I was 30? And I thought, no, I, I, I think I've got more to offer now, mm. having gone through the last 20 years and all those experiences. And now I feel completely well-rounded enough to be able to sit and listen and to ha- maybe have that look of understanding in my eye when somebody's pouring out mm. emotions, because mm. sometimes having treatments can be quite releasing for people. And I think at maybe 30, I couldn't have dealt with that as mm. easily as I mm. can now. And maybe I've got that look of experience in my eye or understanding that people do feel that they can open out a little bit more. I think I'm very, yes, I'm very much a product of, of my of my story, of, of my yes. ups and downs. And I wouldn't be able to offer, I couldn't have done this in my 30s. I couldn't have un- had that empathy or that understanding. No. Um, and I remember I went, I'm trying to think when it was, probably nine years ago I went on a sort of self-development course in London and there were sort of 70 people in a room and there were young women who were who I could totally relate to you know in their early 20s going yeah I understand exactly how you feel and I at the time I felt that my that Gordy had his um uh, his injury by then I'd lost a baby I'd lost my sister you know divorce I'd, you know life had happened mm. Mm. and I felt very um, defined by it, I felt that they were heavy burdens that I was carrying. And I remember watching all these women and comparing myself to them and how I had been and how I was now. And I suddenly, the one thing it gave me that week was this shift of, actually, what I have now is wisdom. What I have now is I have the wealth of experience that, that affords me the wisdom in order to understand what other people have gone through. So I, I, I totally shifted it from becoming this, where is me, you know, gosh, this yes. is heavy, I don't know what to do with it, to, okay, let's let's use this. Yes, let's, let's- that's how I feel. And I'm, you know, I'm 51 now, same as you. And I just think, um, you know, you can either look at it as, gosh, I wish I had known all this when I was 20, but actually, no, I'm okay with that. And mm. if, if I can carry on doing what I'm doing until I'm mid-70s, mm. um, that would be great because actually this knowledge and this experience um, that I can pass on to people, I wouldn't have had back then mm. and I wouldn't have been credible mm. um, at that stage. And I've been through divorces and, you know, three three children and the nearly dying experience and lots of other experiences that I can now um, listen to people and have that empathy. And I think I'm a lot more valuable mm. Um, as a therapist doing what I'm doing now than I could have ever been mm. in my I think 20s. it's really important that um, that other people who might listen to this or who we talk to understand that whilst they're in the throes of it, of whatever age they are, of throes of a, what for them is at the time a negative or overpowering or traumatic experience, is actually this will inform you. This will inform you further down the line and you will most likely be able to use that to help others, even if you don't become a therapist. Mm. I mean, I, June, I often have this conversation about being a light worker and it can be someone like Sarah who we know and love and uh, who is a hairdresser. Um, and I think she gives as much 
by connecting with people, by um, mm. not only her skills as a hairdresser, but by connecting personally, listening to their stories and being able to support them. That's as much about using her experience and being a light worker as you being a therapist or what I do or what June does channeling. Yes. It all, yeah. you know, it's especially going through the menopause, it's that part of welcoming that, and it's, it's an awful word, I'm trying to find another one, but that, that crone part of us. But yes. that wise woman part of us and going, actually, wow, I'm really honoured to be in this position now. Yes. I'm honoured that I can help other people and use my experience for good. Yes. And actually, that's an empowering feeling getting to the stage of your life. <clears throat> and it doesn't have to be sort of um, this idea we have of a, a woman reaching the menopause and being a negative thing of, oh, well, it's all downhill from now. Mm. Actually, you can use it as an empowering stage and you can still stay beautiful you can still stay beautiful from within and mm. radiate out and offer your experience and intuition and it's and almost a relief i don't think i'm quite there but to get to that stage where we've spent most of our lives you know making ourselves attractive because we want to make ourselves attractive whether it be um sub subconsciously to attract a mate or just because we um want to look nice for ourselves because it makes us feel good but i think as you get older not that i don't want to look good now but there's less emphasis on that because you know we've had our children and that, that primeval need to find a mate in order to procreate has passed now we're just doing it for ourselves yes and there's more emphasis on Actually, I'm going to self-nurture. Actually, I'm going to help others. So that the lens that you look through, we were saying earlier about not having to give out so much in our mothering. Yes, yes, That we exactly. can either unmother ourselves or mother other people. Yes. Um, talking about that, when I was living in the States, I used to, uh, that's when I first got into um, practicing yoga. And my yoga teacher was 70 and she had a body like Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and and I always remember thinking, gosh, I just had such admiration for mm. her. And now I sort of think, you know, I could do that. Mm. You know, just because I'm 51 doesn't mean that I couldn't now become a you've yoga all, You've got a body well. like Gwyneth Paltrow. I've never had that body. <laughs> so I think that's unlikely for me. But yes, I can see you doing that. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's my next path. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of working on it but I did I did remember always looking at her and admiring how there was nothing extra on her body other than what her body needed mm. to survive and walk and she looked so unencumbered mm. by her body I know some people you know maybe may carry extra weight or their breasts are larger or their hips are larger or they're awkward in any way but she just looks so svelte and so mm. um, easy mm. and in tune with her body. And I, I think that was the admiration I had, was feeling in tune with your body, whatever it is. Hence as well, I, I'll go on to say, the self-massage. You, you learn about your body. You know, if your calves, you think, if you're massaging your calves, and you think, gosh, they feel actually quite muscular or, or sort of maybe they're swollen. You know, some women suffer from... Um, you know, their lymphatic systems need to be mm. invigorated a little mm. bit. And you just think, gosh, just by that self-massage, mm. you're learning about your body mm. or um, learning where it hurts or where it's a bit swollen or puffy. or um, And yes, it, it goes on from mm. there. But it's about being in tune with yourself. 
and happy with yeah. yourself. I remember having a conversation with Jane Grace, who I podcast with last week, and she worked in sexual health for years, so dealt with women and teenagers. And there was often a, oh, you know, I, I hate my body, I, I hate this. And we tended to, or women tend to look at um, the defining features being the, the bottom, the thighs, the stomach, the boobs, um, the face. And if you had smaller or bigger breasts or a, a, a saggy tummy or bigger thighs or dimply bottom, whatever it is, it's, oh, I hate my body. And um, I remember her telling me, she'd say, how do you feel about your little finger? How do you feel about your wrist? How do you feel about your toes? How do you feel about your earlobes? And all the bits of our bodies that aren't socially um, focused on or, or, or define us. Mm. And so part of, for me, that self-massage would be actually, yeah, look at my knees. My knees help me move. My feet support me. You know, yes. I've got great wrists. I love my feet. I've got enormous feet. I've always loved my feet. I love my nose. I've got a big nose. Don't, I could get really paranoid about those, but I've always yes. liked them. It's awareness. So it's about... You know, loving and appreciating your body for everything it gives you. So yes, I've got you know big thighs and wobbly tummy, but I've born four children. My legs help me move; they work. Yeah. So it's about looking and celebrating what you do have, rather than constantly wishing it to be something other than what it is. Yes, and, and one of the most amazing things of doing that self massage is, as you're mass massaging that part of your body, um, you focus on it, and all your thoughts go from all the worries that you might be having at the time or anything that you're planning, sort of what I'm doing for the day, all that goes out of your mind and you actually think, oh, gosh, my wrist feels this or it feels that or um, I feel like this when I touch that part mm, of my body. Mm. And that's so valuable. Um, and I don't think I've ever noticed that until mm. I've started doing the self-massage mm. every morning. Um, it's quite incredible that just the tiny little areas, you know, like you said, your your earlobes, um, part of the face massage, the mukabhyanga in Sanskrit, that's what it's called, um, just massaging your ears. They're so sensitive. You can hear so much through them and you only have to do small little movements on somebody's ear to get them to really relax. Mm, mm. And it's a part that people wouldn't think that could be massaged. Mm, mm. Um but actually it is, and it's deeply relaxing. And I find it very therapeutic doing massages or reflexology only because I can I can almost feel what it feels like for that person when I'm giving the massage or doing the massage. And it's it's almost like a heightened form of awareness and intuition. I can feel what they're feeling. And I think that's where possibly my skill lies is in being very intuitive. Mm. Um, as to, I'm not just sort of performing an act or a treatment. Mm. I'm working very much with that person. Um, and I think that's what I find so rewarding about it. I feel quite zoned out afterwards um, and deeply relaxed mm. myself. And that's where I think I found um, my real enjoyment out of what I do. Do you find energetically it's different when you, because obviously when you're treating the feet, you're near um, the earth chakra, near the base chakra, very different energy to being, say, maybe doing a head massage where you're, again, near the crown chakra, very different. Do you feel very different? Um, it depends on that person. Mm. Um, it's like with all, all the treatments, um, you treat each person as an individual. And I would say working on some people's feet is totally different to 
giving an, uh, somebody else a head massage. And some people will say to me, you know, don't you find doing a full body massage quite exhausting? Well, for some people, yes, mm. um, it's very exhausting. And for other people, um, you can give them a full body massage and actually you feel quite invigorated afterwards. Mm. Um, everybody's body's so different and everybody's feet or hands are so different and everybody's problems that they come to you with are so different um, that that each person is very different. And I think that's what's so rewarding as well is especially when there's a course of treatments, um, the first couple of sessions, you're both getting used to each other. Somebody's getting used to your touch and how you work as a therapist. You're getting used to their body and where their stiff or vulnerable parts are. Um, you know, their neck might be really stiff and tight or, you know, there's a certain part in their their thigh that might be really sensitive. So you're both getting used to each other. Um once you get to know the person, then you can work with them. They get used to you, you get used to them, and then they can start really getting benefit mm. from it. As you were saying earlier, it's, and I was going to say, sometimes with the treatment, um, let's say when I did my exam for passing, I had a, a young chap, a 19-year-old, who'd never had touch for health and was a bit wary and a bit rabbit in the headlights. And what I did was a very simple um, sort of balance on him, but you could see that there were potentially bigger issues. Um, but actually sometimes people need you to get rid of the, to do the little steps in order for them to make, for, in order for them to be more comfortable for you to take the big steps, the big emotional steps with them. Because no one's going to dive in with the treatment with me, having never met me, mm. and go, well, actually, yes, I've got this trauma from 20 years ago. They're going to come in with a sore knee or a sore that uh, or a um, biochemical thing. And I can imagine it's the same with even massage. Yes. You need to break down that... Um, the, the barriers. The barriers and, and also to, to build that trust to go, yes. actually, now, and even if they're not aware of it, even if it is subconscious, yes. actually now my body is able to open up and I'm going to show you, you know, for you the, the where the real pain is or where that... And they might sitting. discover where the real pain is as mm -hmm. well. Um, it, yes, it's very much trust has to be built up and it's the expectation of when they arrive it, for the first treatment, they're not sure what to expect mm -hmm. and they're sort of on heightened alert. Um, and I am too. I think I'm quite good at getting people to relax straight away. Um, but certainly once that first treatment's um, completed and they know what to expect next time, they, mm. they get a lot more mm. out of the mm. treatment. And I can put in a lot more because I know mm. um, what we're working with. And, and I think the, resu the results mm. are always um, deeper, I think. I remember going to Christia, yeah. um, the osteopath. And I was, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and, and I'm all for it and I trusted him. But I would just fall into it straight away, yes. straight away. And he always said, when you do that, it's wonderful because he can work deeper when yes. I just physically and energetically give myself over. Yes. So I can imagine with you, once people go, okay, I'm, I'm all yours. Yes. You know, do what, you know, I trust you to yes. go to those depths. And also I always encourage people to give me feedback along the way. Um, you know, don't I always say to them, don't feel you've got to lie there and I'm going to do this or going to do that. You know, put your arms wherever your arms are comfy. And mm. if they were comfy in that position in the beginning, feel during the treatment that you can say, oh, actually, can I put this arm here or that arm there? You know, I don't want people to ever feel um, that they have to stay in a certain position, you know, for the whole treatment with reflexology, you know. Um, 
having a bolster under your knee or actually wanting to rearrange your head pillow or I'm getting cold or mm. actually I'm getting really hot, we open the windows, mm. you know, whatever it is. Mm. And I think that's part of the trust as well as it's, it's got to be constant It's amazing how we feedback. don't do that. It's amazing how much yeah, we've we, got will, to be encouraged we will tolerate to or suffer. Yes. I mean, I don't know if suffer is quite a big word, but we will just accommodate stuff accommodate. and not have a voice. Yes, and, and maybe it's because we've never been asked, mm. how, how do you feel? Are you warm? Would mm. you like a blanket? Um, is your head comfy like that? Mm. Um is it too light in here for you? All sorts of things. People mm. just aren't being aren't used to mm. being asked, um, which which is incredible. And I think that's part of the therapy that they're receiving, whether it's a massage, a head massage, face massage, reflexology, whatever it is. It's part of it is being nurtured for that hour. And for me, it's also about being seen and yeah. allowing themselves to be seen. Yes, because some people don't know how they how to be seen. Yes. They don't know how to be present, how to take self-responsibility, how to go, actually, no, I want, I want this. And sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm, cause I remember having this myself in, in different circumstances going, that's a real revelation. Like the thing yeah. I was saying earlier about, I don't share well. That was a real moment for me going, I don't share well. I don't share yeah. my space well. I don't like sharing my food. I am very selfish with that. And how do I feel about that? Actually, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. And as long as I recognise that and me recognising that if I was in the kitchen with my children of old, there'd be noise, there'd be the radio, there'd be the cooker hood going off and I would just get really stressed. And it took mm. me 40 years to recognise I can't, I overload with noise. I'm, yes. I'm at what they call an HSP, I'm a hypersensitive person. And I could easily beat myself up about that because at the beginning my husband was like, oh, you're so sensitive, you're so sensitive. Lots mm. of my parents used to say it to me going, Actually, I'm okay with that. I mm. just know how to, I need to know how to manage it. So if I'm in an overwhelming situation, noise-wise, the radio goes off, I, or I leave, leave the room, or I turn something off. As long as it's two or three, I can cope. Yes. But it took me so many years to get to that point yes. without feeling guilty, going, that's who I am. Yes, I think I think part of having our strengths and recognising our strengths is by recognising our weaknesses. Mm, mm. Um, if we can recognise our weaknesses and accept them and comprehend why we've got them, then we're okay with them mm. and then we have our strength as mm. a result of that. Mm. We can focus on the things that we are okay with and accept those things that we're not very good with and just say, well, that's that's just how I am with that. Mm. And anybody around me, Ex express to them this is what I'm good with and mm. that's what I'm not good with and, and it's that societal thing it. I always think of it as like a, a train line we're all supposed to be within those two lines and for all our differences we all have to adapt to doing that and then when I think we lose ourselves in that whereas if you go actually I'm, I'm just left of the left track you know, I, I know what I am. I'm, I know I'm sensitive. I know I wear my heart on my sleeve. I know I speak directly, but I don't see those as weaknesses. Mm. I see those as who I am. And actually, I'm okay being left of that track yes. or right of that track. And it's, I think you can then, if you allow yourself to be your authentic self, you can then be a better person as a, as a wife as a partner, as a sister, as a friend, as a therapist, because you understand where you're at. Yes. If you've if you've accepted those things yourself, you can then tell the people that are closest to you that that's maybe where your weakness or your 
peculiarity lies so that they can learn to treat you with a little bit more respect mm. for your weakness. Mm. And also you take, I found I've taken myself away from the people who I was with in, the, in between the tracks when I was in vertical was conforming and being as I felt I should be. Those people, and that, that was a big journey for me to go, actually, I'm okay being left of track. And if those people in the middle of the track can't respect that, then that's fine. Mm. I, mm. I, don't, I don't want to be part of that energy because it's constantly making me feel guilty or worse than. I'm not talking about left of track, I'm going to go and you know, shoplift or I'm going to go and be selfish. I'm just talking about personality traits. Yes, your individual You know, individuality. Like my son who has, has NVLD and um, lacks empathy, it makes it harder for him to be part of society. And it's just my job to point out to him, when you get reactions from people if they're a bit cross or a bit this, you just need to understand that because you've you that part of your brain is wired differently, you're going to elicit this response, and you might have to work a little bit harder to to modify people. Yes. I can't change who he is. No, I can just make no. him more aware. Yes, and and he can't change who he is. But I think by accepting that, um, you've also got the ability once you've accepted it, not to let it get out of control. I think is recognition and acceptance of a personality trait, and then it won't get out of control. Mm. Um, you won't see it as necessarily a weakness that's going out of control. It's just part of who you are. And yeah, you've got to let people around you know that that's um, who you are and why. I think, I think one of the world's worst places sometimes is primary schools for parents. Um, you know, there's this... Um, you've got to conform to what this elite group of parents might be like and what they all do. Mm. And if you're not part of that, um, there's something wrong with you. Mm. And it took me a little while um, to sort of think, oh, well, I'm not this perfect one of these types. And actually, I'm okay with it. Mm. And I'm quite content doing things on my own sometimes. Mm. I don't have to be with this gaggle of sort of perfect, perfect women that want to do a certain thing and they're not they're not content on their own doing anything. They have to be within this um, almost like a pack. Well, they validate themselves through yes, each other. Yeah. through each other. And, um, yeah, for a little while I, I think I probably felt quite sort of on the outside of a, a certain pattern of how you should conform mm. So um, word should. The should should not. <laughs> yes. I think as soon as you get rid of those. Yes, then then you feel actually really liberated mm, mm. and you start discovering what it is you like doing and being quite content mm, with that. Mm. And um, actually it is when you when you come across people who are like that, who quietly own who they are, it's you just you could really admire them. Yes. Because they and they're, they're not going out shouting at the world this is who I am they're just quietly owning their space yes quietly getting on with mm, everything and mm. being content I think contentedness is something to admire and nothing can really give you contentedness other than yourself you know money can't give it um you know um beauty can't give it um Nothing can give you contentedness. It's just yourself that can mm. give it to yourself. Um, and I think that's that's something that is worthy of admiration as you, as you get older. Mm. 
um, being content. I think it, and I think it is an age thing. Yes. Yes, I think it's very rare to find somebody being content in their 20s. Mm. Um, very rare. It, it does happen, I think. Mm. Um, but yes, I think I've only become, I would say, content with who I am now. Um, I think certainly when you find something you really enjoy doing and now having sort of coming, sort of semi coming to the end of my motherhood, although my youngest is 13 still, but I'm I'm beginning to really um, learn what I'm enjoying doing mm. now with the with the treatments and reflexology massage, seeing what I can pass on to people and how people leave the room feeling relaxed or you know floating on a cloud. I've had given us a description. I just think, gosh, that's great that mm. I can um, pass that on to people, and I end up feeling great as a result. Mm. So it's sort of almost like a circular thing. I think it yes that thing of coming full circle I think it's different in motherhood when you're giving 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 but I, was, I think yeah, that bit, was exactly what I was yeah, going to say giving 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 yes but to give as as a member of a community and to be able to nurture your fellow man yeah and for me I think it's part of me that that thinks doesn't everyone want that and I think that's possibly a little naive but for me that's all especially in this journey that I've been doing, all I want is, in my mind, I just say, I just want to serve. I just want to help people. Mm. And again, mm. I, what, is it fair to say that's just a female or more of a female trait to nurture? Yes. I, mean, I see so many women in their late 40s and 50s who come to the place where we are and mm. to, through some form of therapy will help, will nurture. Yes, I, I definitely think it's more of a female trait. I mean, you do get... Um, men that want to nurture or have that very much in them. But I think from when they've been little, they've been brought up not to fulfill that role. Um, so it's rare that you mm. get a man. But I think, you know, men can be um, equally good at nurturing. Um, they just don't know it or it's not expected of them. So they've never developed it. No. And they've never had to. No. Well, I say they have never had to. You get some... Um, fathers that are at home fathers um, but generally it's generally it's women I think um, that give up what they may want to do to to be there all the time and it's that if, if it's one lesson I could give my daughters is don't don't ever expect that that job is just yours mm. you know the the trips to the doctor's um, you know, all sorts of things, the clubs after school, the running around, dropping your children off to their friends' houses and having friends back for tea and organising birthdays. Don't think that that's just your job. Mm. You know, ask your it'll, husband it'll if he wants so, to yes. have a year off yeah. work. It's interesting to see notice. how this generation play out. Um, yeah, Because I'm, I'm aware having two boys that I'm raising future husbands. I, I do feel a huge responsibility and I've not had, I don't know how to talk to them about that. I don't know, because if I said to them, when you're a father, they just look at me, you know, at 18 and 20, what are you talking about? You know, it's, yes. it's not part of that. Maybe when they become fathers is, uh, would be pertinent to say something. But my, um, it reminds me of my eldest daughter I had a flatmate and he wasn't brought up to take responsibility in any way. So he would say things like, oh, you know, I've, 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 I've put, put my wash on or I've done the dishwasher. She could be quite scathing. She'd look at him and go, we don't applaud a fish for swimming. 
that. Which is her favourite phrase. And poor Freddie, all he had was, we don't applaud, the, uh, applaud fish for swimming. It's like, why are you telling me this? It's a basic yes, thing that you should do. That's what you do when the dishes yes, are dirty. Yeah, exactly. You put and, them in. And I think for, for yeah. you know, it's that thing of my children and my husband learn, you know, oh, I've done the dishwasher for you. Yeah, I look at them and they've seen dropped the for you phrase. Like, oh, am well, I the I only one that, that uses I think, the dishes? I think that's the best thing that I've learned all week. I think that's great. Yes, it is. It's sort of why say why compliment them on that? It's yeah. like, well, the dishes are dirty, so they need yeah. washing. Well done. You know? like, yes, and my dad would always say to me with my first husband, you know, you need you need to congratulate. You know, when he's mowed the lawn, tell him what a good job he's done. And I'm looking at him, going, really? He's just mowed the lawn. I'm perfectly capable of mowing the lawn. Yes. Why do I need to? You know, soothe his ego for yes. doing something. Yes. Is this where the problems lay? That men permanently need thanking for everything. I mean, yes, yes I acknowledge it. Go, oh, thanks for doing the lawn, but yes. not. Gosh, your stripes are terribly. You know. Yes. I mean, that's what he wanted. Or, yes. Or the maybe. I, I think to to put like a positive thing on that is to to thank and appreciate anybody for whatever they do. So you might say to him. Oh, the lawn looks great. Yeah. Likewise, if you were to have done the lawn, yeah. you would say, oh, oh, wow, thanks for doing the lawn. It's looking really good. Yeah. I think if we all complement mm. each other mm. for all the little things that we do, mm. or, you know, then that would be great. But you're right, not as a, wow, thanks so much. And it can't just be one way. Mm. It's like, you know, the children say to me, actually, which I really like, um, if I've done a nice dinner one night, Oh, thanks. This looks really nice. Mm. And I think, oh, well, thank you. Mm. You know, it's, it's nice much. to be told. No. Thank you. And it, mm. you're right. It doesn't take much. It's four words mm. strung together in a complimentary mm. way. Mm. And that should just be natural. It's not as if I need a compliment on having cooked a nice meal, um, but it's nice. Mm. My biggest thing with my husband, he'll often say, um, I mean, he's, he's very busy, in all fairness, but he'll just say, but you just have to ask. If there's anything, you'll just mm. have to ask. And I've always said to him, do you not understand there is a difference energetically between me saying, and this might just be my shit, but me saying, would you mind or can you, to him coming in going, would you like some help for supper? Yes. Because it's that he's stepping into my space or even do you want some company whilst you cook? Yes. So rather than me going, oh, so you chance you can come and you know, sit and talk to me whilst I cook, yes. which feels quite needy. Needy, absolutely. Um, but for him to acknowledge you're cooking a meal, you know, would you like me to be part of that? Yes. You know, to give to someone yeah. rather than to ask. Yeah. And he doesn't quite get the difference in the energy. It's awareness of how somebody's feeling. Yeah. And, um, You're stepping into their space rather yes. than me going, can you step into my yes. space? And it doesn't take much. It's like a quick switch in your mind mm. of how you're feeling and what your needs are to quickly grasping that other person opposite mm. you and saying, if I was them, what would I want? Mm you know, what would make them happy mm. and quickly offer it. Mm. And that's what a 10-second thought process, mm. Mm. but it's a shift. Yeah, it, It's all about mind shiftness and, and just sort of awareness of other people around us and awareness of ourselves mm. and what it is we want and mm. what others want and um, taking the time just to think about that. Mm. And I think it is when, say, with my daughter and her, her flatmate, I may be doing a disservice to men, but I think sometimes mothers nurture men more, boys more, and maybe possibly make more excuses for them. And we societally have more expectation of girls 
to, oh, well, the, the, the lawn needs mowing and the dishwasher needs going. So I'll ask my son to do the lawn and my daughter to do the dishwasher. We fall mm. into that. You know, yes. I'm, I'm just as guilty of it. So I think it's having to make, teach our boys or our men or our husbands, actually, it's okay, as you say. Yes. So you're, you're not babysitting the child, you're parenting. Yes. You're not cooking it's for strange me. Or, you know, having been brought up as an only child, then I went to a girls' school and now I've got three daughters Gosh. and, um, you know, no man living living with me. So it's very much a female-dominated mm. little group, um, like a pack, I feel, you know, pack of wolves. You know, I think we are running with the wolves, whatever it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, I expect my daughters to help me fulfil mm. all sorts of, you know, putting the bins out, mm. um, mowing the lawn or doing whatever it is doing a little bit of DIY there's no man around to do mm, that mm. and I don't have um you know my father's um sadly passed away and he's not around so it's very much you know the women in mm. my family do everything mm. um, they're going to be very powerful as well, a result I hope though aren't so. they yes independent I hope so. women that's amazing yes yeah I hope so I mean I wish I had a few more um, male skills, you know, changing the tire on a car, things like that, which mm. I know nowadays it's so easy to Google and look it up. Um, and, you know, I, I don't often feel sometimes maybe that I have enough of those skills to mm. pass on. Mm. And I would say that's a little bit of a vulnerable um, part. And I wish I could teach mm. them all that. But I'm making them aware that you will have to do it. So mm. let's, let's, Google it together mm. and look up how mm. you do that mm. because there's nobody else around to do it. Mm. Whereas some daughters maybe have had a, a father that's taught them how to do all this. Mm. Um, and that's it's quite a different upbringing. Or, or do it for them and not teach or them. Or do it for them mm. and not teach them. Yes, Which is, is nurturing but them. disempowering at the same yes, time. Yes, it is. Mm. Yes, I think my mother had, um, or she did, she, her father used to teach her how to do lots of things. Mm. So she's quite good at doing all that. Um, but having gone to boarding school, I guess I've not taken, you know, learnt those skills mm. um, growing up. Interesting, isn't um, it? I do yes. remember when um, between my first husband and Gordy, which wasn't long, it was only six months, um, which was a bit freaky in itself. But I had, I maintained the house my own. It was down to me to put the bins out. It was down to me to cut the hedge 10 foot up a ladder. It was up to me to cut the huge lawn. And it fell to me. But I do remember feeling incredibly happy. And it wasn't just that I was out in the marriage. I felt so empowered that, that it wasn't, well, I won't do that because they can do that. Well, I'm a bit resentful because they haven't done it. It's like, mm. it falls to mm. me. Yes. It falls to me. I don't. I can't look to anyone to do this. And that sense of empowerment was amazing. Yes. And it, when it was you've never completed me. that task, yeah. you feel quite good. You're like, well, look, mm. I can do this mm. too. But just um, not having to rely on anyone and yes. only being able to rely on myself. Yes. Yes, you empower yourself by doing that. I remember mowing the lawn, you know, um, and the children all helping me. And it's actually a very physical job with mm. the brown bins and emptying the lawnmower mm. out. And the girls were helping and, it, it, you know, it's really good for them to mm. get a feeling of accomplishment yeah. having done that. Mm. Yeah, no, um, and to see their mother doing a role that would be typically mm. uh, a man's role. Yes. If my daughter says things like, why are you, why have you got the drill? I look at her again. Did you really just say that? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's worth picking up a drill once in a while, just yeah. walking around the house yes. <laughs> with a glue gun 
and a drill and not actually doing anything with it, but letting them see you with it. Or a strimmer and have yeah. them saying, what are you doing with that, mummy? Well, just walking around with it to let you see me with it. Yes. I can Familiarization, do darling. <laughs> yes. I have a whole list of questions, none of which I've asked, but I am going to wrap up. And my, um, my last question is be, would be, where would you want to be? I'm going to say five years' time, so your youngest will be 18. How do you see, what do you want that to look like for yourself um, and for your business? I would like to um, see complete peace and calm, tranquility and strength. Um, so the ways that I see myself achieving that is to have, um, you know, a, a very healthy business up and running where I have um, regular clients that come to me that I get great recommendations, that I'm in a wonderful space to be working, that I'm learning constantly, um, maybe learning a new skill, a, a yoga teacher, mm. um, instructor would be something that I'd love to go and divert off into as well as what I do. But basically to have every everybody around me and everybody that comes to me feeling peace and just a feeling of satisfaction, peace, calm, and tranquility. And I feel like I've done enough up and down and chaos throughout my life, and um, I wouldn't have got to where I am and be able to pass it on without having gone through that. But now I see um, just, just some peace and calm and being given the opportunity to impart what I've learned um, onto other people. Mm. It's lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Hero Hotspot podcast. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Until next time, take care.